been a series on prayer. It started with praying in Jesus' name, and then we walked through different phrases of the Lord's Prayer. And now this morning, we're looking at the Bible. Why should we trust the Bible, and what should we do with it? Why should we trust it, and what should we do with it? See, learning the Bible and prayer are two essential elements of a Christian walk, Christian faith. It's like breathing. You breathe in the Word of God, and you breathe out your prayers to God. I love this picture of those little kids and that frosty air. Boy, reminds me of this morning, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, uh, it's been a while since I've lived in frosty air. But uh, breathing in the Word of God, breathing out your prayers to God, both are essential elements of your Christian walk. And so this morning, uh, as you see in your bulletin, we're going to ask two questions. The first, uh, uh, why is it trustworthy? And the second, what should we do with it? And there's room to make a few notes if that helps you. Uh, If it's going to distract you, then you can ask Megan for a copy of my notes and she'll get it to you later. So uh, why should we trust the Bible and what should we do with it? So why is it trustworthy? There's a lot of people who question the Bible. Why is it trustworthy? Take your Bibles, please, and turn to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is a very familiar passage dealing with the Word of God and its trustworthiness in our lives. And we're going to read several passages or several verses here. We're going to start in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14. But as for you, continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. So he's encouraging Timothy, look, you're learning from me. Paul was an apostle chosen by God, given revelation by God. And so Paul's saying, Timothy, you're learning this from me, and it's consistent with all the Old Testament scriptures. So remember that. Be encouraged in that. Verse 15, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. We have the kids choir up here singing and and I know there's uh, I think you what church the church you were in in Michigan how old did you have to be before they would baptize you? Was it like nine? Five okay Uh, there was a church that I knew of where you had to be nine years old before you could be baptized because they weren't sure that little kids could really understand. What does the Word of God say? Little kids can understand. From childhood, you can understand. So we have people in this room who were saved at age three. Okay, I admit they were smarter than I was at age three. Uh, I was saved at 16. I didn't really get it. I went to church, and I heard it, and I even made a profession of faith and said a prayer, but it was just so I wouldn't go to hell. It wasn't really a confessing of my sins and, and a transformation of my life. And so I got saved at 16. Some of you here got saved in adulthood. Some got saved while young kids. A child can understand the scripture. And Timothy was raised by a believing mother and a believing grandmother. And we know that from Paul writing to Timothy and talking about his mother and his grandmother. So Timothy, from the time he was a little kid, heard the truth of God's word and followed the Lord. So he's saying, 
by, from the time you were a kid, you knew how to be saved by looking at the Word of God and learning the Word of God. Verse 16, all Scripture. Okay, when Paul uses that word Scripture, what's he referring to? Specifically, what's he referring to? What was the scripture they had when Paul was writing this? They had the Old Testament. They probably had the Gospel of Mark. They might have had another one or two of the Gospels. Uh, The book of Luke was not yet written. The book of Acts was not yet written. None of the epistles were written. Well, by the time he's writing 2 Timothy, Paul had already written uh, all the other epistles that he would write. So we have the letter to the Romans and Uh, his two letters to the church in Corinth and Galatia and to the different areas where he wrote letters. But when he's writing, he's talking about those Old Testament scriptures. Now, when I talk to Jerry about being saved, when I talk to Lacey about being saved, and what did it mean? We went to the New Testament, and we went to the book of Romans, and we looked at a couple of scriptures, and we wanted to make sure they knew exactly what it meant to be saved. And then we looked at some more scriptures about what it means Uh, to be baptized and why a person gets baptized. And we did that all in the New... But even the Old Testament can show you that you need Christ. You can read the Psalms and there are invitations to trust Christ. The book of Isaiah begins and ends with a plea to trust Christ and, and look to God for salvation. And so Paul's saying those scriptures were able to help you. Now, when he says all Scripture here, he's looking at everything that God had already revealed through what Paul had already written, through all the Old Testaments, through at least the Gospel of Mark, possibly the Gospel of Matthew and John. But right now, we take in all of Scripture going from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, 21. All of it. Because... Peter wrote that holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. All Scripture, the Old Testament and the New Testament, is given by inspiration of God. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. You want to know how to live? Read your Bible. Want to know how to be a good husband? Read your Bible. Want to know how to be a good wife? Read your Bible and ask your husband. I'm just Read your Bible. By the way, guys, it's really a good idea to ask your wives about being a good husband. And ladies, it is a good idea to ask your husband. But you can learn a lot just from reading God's Word and seeing what it says. Kids, you want to know how to behave? Read your Bible. It's given by God and is profitable if you put it to use in your life. Then verse 17, that the man of God may be complete or thoroughly thoroughly equipped for every good work. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. That means when it's convenient and when it's not so convenient. Be ready at any time to share the word of God. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. You think that might be going on today? Uh, 
There, there are people flocking to false churches, people who used to go to church with people just like us. They were in church, and they were reading their Bible, and now they're not, and they're doing other things. And it breaks your heart to see stuff like that happen. One of the guys who was a Bible college instructor when I was in Bible school, he walked away from the Lord, away from his family. I have no idea what he's doing now. But he didn't stay with the truth of God's Word. The time will come. They will not endure sound doctrine. The fastest growing churches in the world teach almost nothing. They teach God loves you. Does God love you? Yes. Did Jesus say, make disciples, baptize them, and teach them that I love them? That's not what he said. He said, teach them to observe all things that I've commanded you. So it's important for us to know God loves you. And if you don't know it, Pat, God loves you. Those who were here before Sunday school, you'll know what that was about. But <laughs> God loves you. He cares about you. But he wants you to change. He loves you too much to leave you the way you are. He wants your life to grow, mature, and change. So we're in an age when they are not enduring sound doctrine. People leave churches that teach the truth of God's word and go to churches that feel more fun, that are more entertaining. And God said, that's, that's not the right direction. And so, but according to their own desires, they have itching ears. They heap for themselves teachers. They want their teachers to tell them what they want to hear. Years ago, like maybe 15, uh, I was preaching here, and I had preached a message on hell. And there was a lady who was coming to the church, and we were in the process of discipling her for Christ, and I preached on hell. And, and then uh, she told me when she was leaving, she said, I have a real problem with hell. I said, well, I struggle with it too. It's, it's hard to imagine people going to hell. It's, it's a grief and it's a burden. There are people that I have loved that have died without Christ, and they're in hell, and that's, that's hard for us to take. And so she didn't come back, and I visited with her, and she said, I have a problem with hell. So you know what she did? Instead of looking to God's word for the truth, she went to another church here in town, and, and they told her there is no hell. We all go to heaven because God loves everybody. And so she's comfortably in that church, so-called church. It's not a real church if it doesn't teach the word of God. But he said the time will come when that's going to happen. And hey, it has come in America. It has come in all the regions where we have missionaries. It has come. So they will turn, verse 4, turn away their ears uh, from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things. Endure affliction. Do the work of evangelists. Fulfill your ministry. Why is it trustworthy? You see, first of all, it's supernatural origin. Verse 16 of chapter 3. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. That means God breathed. God breathed. The Holy Spirit of God spoke into the hearts of the writers and they wrote down the very words of God. 
The really cool thing is when you read Peter, it's different than when you read John. And it's different than when you read Paul. And that's different than when you read Mark. And that's different than when you read Matthew. And that's different than when you read Malachi. And because their personalities show God is so awesome, he can speak his word through the person so that God's truth and that person's personalities are brought together. And God works. They are holy scriptures. There's no other book like this book. It makes us wise to salvation. It's given by inspiration of God. God revealed himself through this book. See, Romans 1 says everybody has two lights, the light of creation and the light of conscience, and those are enough to bring you to a place to know there should be a God. But the only way you can know who that God is is from the Scripture. The only way you can know the difference between the God we teach and the God the Muslims teach and the God the Buddhists teach and the God the Hindus teach, or the gods, Hindus, because they have thousands of them, but the only way you can tell the difference is the Word of God reveals exactly who is the one true living God. Isaiah says there's no other God besides Him. No God before Him, there'll be no God after Him. He is the one true God. And this book is of supernatural origin so that it's the word of God to reveal the creator to the people who desperately need to know him. We needed a savior. He revealed himself to us so that we can be saved. Uh, From a child, you have known the scriptures which are able to make you wise to salvation so you can understand how to be saved. One of the questions I love to ask kids when they want to get baptized is, how did you get saved? What did you do to be saved? And sometimes when I'm talking to people about getting saved, I said, maybe if you just give me enough money, would that get you saved? And all but one said, yes. One said, I don't know. I said, well, let's try it. (laughs) No, I didn't. I said, no, let's look to what God's word says. The scriptures are able to make you wise to salvation. You need to learn God's word. It's a supernatural origin. No other book is like this book. So, you know, in the Bible, God could swear by no greater. He swore by himself. The scripture argues that it is the one book. But how could anything else be? It's the inspired word of God. And that's the first thing, supernatural origin. Secondly is supernatural cohesiveness. How many books are in the Bible? 66 different books written by how many authors, human writers? About 40. Um, Some of them, like Luke and Acts, written by the same guy, the Gospel of John, the epistles of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, the book of Revelation, all written by John, from Romans to Philemon, all written by the Apostle Paul, of Genesis through Deuteronomy, written by Moses. So some of them are written by one guy, wrote multiple books, but then the book of Psalms has Psalms written by several different people, uh, David, Asaph, Solomon, uh, even Moses. There's a Psalm written by Moses in there. And so There's this supernatural cohesiveness. It all fits together. 
I have a brother who's quite mechanical. I'm not. Uh, Kathy had a problem with her iron once. And, sorry, had a long hair there. So God, there was a, a problem with her iron, and it wasn't working. I said, look, since it's already broken, I'll just take it apart. Well, I took it apart, and the, the base plate of it was cracked. So there was no way it was going to work again. And then I didn't know it, but Kathy kept it in a box. And then when my family came over, she said, look, Jerry tried to fix my iron, and it's just all the pieces of it out there. My brother took a, a 78 international pickup truck long bed. No, a 68. And he and his father-in-law took the engine out, sat it on the back patio, and broke it down into all the individual parts. And then they looked them over, ground some, sanded some, uh, replaced some, put it all back together, and it ran fine. Why? There was a cohesiveness. Now, I do have to tell you, if I put a car together, Kathy would never ride in it, ever. I rode in a plane a friend put together. I would not ride in a plane that I put together. But God put his word together. And you can take all the individual parts and you can look at them and study them and then you put all the parts together and there's a cohesion, a cohesiveness. It fits with 40 different writers writing over a period of more than 1,600 years and it all fits together. So the Apostle Peter talks about what Paul wrote. Paul talks about what Moses wrote. And Jesus talks about uh, different writers and different people in the Old Testament. And it fits together because there's a supernatural cohesiveness. And you know, the Bible was not written by preachers for the most part. The majority of the scripture was written by some were preachers, some were prophets, but some were farmers, tax collectors, and zealots and former skeptics, and they all wrote, and it all fits together. You take any other 40 religious books written by different people from different backgrounds, see if those fit together. Oh, the 39 books of the Old Testament, the 27 books of the New Testament, and it all fits together. A supernatural cohesiveness, and there's a supernatural accuracy. A supernatural accuracy. Way back in history, you go all the way back to the book of Genesis, and God says the Redeemer is going to come through the seed of the woman. If you've ever studied biology, that's a really weird concept. But God makes it happen when Jesus is born of a virgin. And there's all these prophecies. There's the prophecy of Micah saying he's going to come out of Bethlehem. 700 years later. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Uh, prophecy that, uh, even, even prophecy that Cyrus would be the one who would restore Israel after they were taken captive way over to Babylon in the east, and Cyrus would be the one to send them back to Israel. And that's exactly what happened. And the prophecies are spoken and fulfilled, spoken and fulfilled, spoken and fulfilled, some of them hundreds of years later, some of them thousands of years later, but everyone exactly fulfilled. The accuracy of that is unimaginable. You listen to an economist today, 
You know, right before we had the big recession, uh, right before that, economists were saying it's onward and upward. Right before the crash of October uh, 1929, uh, the, the Great Depression, they were forecasting there, there is no limit on the growth for the American stock market. That's what they said three weeks before it imploded. In the early 1900s, the person who was in charge of the, oh, when somebody does an invention, what's that? The, the patent office. The person in charge of the patent office in 19, the early 1900s said, listen, we should just close the patent office because everything that could be invented has already been invented. Wow. Yeah. yeah, I know. I was thinking about him this morning using my power toothbrush. He never saw that one coming, did he? Listen, there's a, a supernatural accuracy. God spoke, it happened. God spoke, it happened. God spoke, it happened. He spoke to farmers. He spoke to field hands. He spoke to prophets. He spoke to priests. And it all happened exactly as he said. Because it's a supernatural book. And then there are supernatural life transformations. Not just mine and yours, but even in the Scripture. In the Scripture, we have Jesus' brothers. Before his crucifixion, what were his brothers doing? They were making fun of Jesus. Hey, you're going to be king? Go on down to Jerusalem and tell everybody, here I am, I'm your king. They made fun of Jesus. But after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, after they saw the risen Lord, after they saw the fulfillment of Scripture in Jesus, they became preachers. And they both James and Jude, he had other brothers, but those two were used to write the Word of God. And they both said, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. They didn't say, I'm the half-brother of Jesus. Wouldn't know what he was like when he was five. I can tell you. They didn't. They, they submitted to him. There was a transformation that took place. The Apostle Paul was known as Saul of Tarsus. He was attempting to annihilate believers, to kill them all, to wipe out Christianity. And then on the Damascus Road, he met Jesus, and he received Christ as his Savior, and he trusted him, and he followed him, and he became the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest preachers, one of the most godly men in the history of the world. The first person to establish missionary work, the Apostle Paul. C.S. Lewis, Lee Strobel, Josh McDowell, all these guys were critics who were determined to prove the Bible was false. And so they studied it and they researched it and they were convinced the Bible is true. And they became believers of the Word of God, followers of Jesus Christ. Through thousands of years of human history, millions of people's lives have been transformed by the revelation of the Word of God. And there's a supernatural preservation. Many people have tried to destroy the Bible, but here it stands. In 1917 in Russia, when they took over and the communist regime came into Russia and they outlawed Christianity, they said, we will drive the Bible from the face of the earth. And yet churches are flourishing in Russia today. 
because God's word has been preserved for us. Um, some people, how many of you have heard about Plato? Not Plato, Plato, a little different, okay? Plato, Greek uh, uh, philosopher. Um, and Plato, his works, you look at all the works of Plato, and this guy was prolific, and they have almost six works of Plato kept. Transcripts from the, from the old scrolls and that. Almost six, not quite six of the, what were they called? Uh, parchments. And yet there are 24,000 parchments of the Gospel of Mark. There's an awesome preservation to the Word of God that we hold in our hands. The words that God spoke back then were written and taught. And just like uh, the early church when they followed the apostles' doctrine, so we today follow the apostles' doctrine and we look back to the Word of God. You don't have a preacher standing up saying, I have a new revelation from Jesus. Here's what we need to do. No, we follow the revealed word of God that has been supernaturally preserved. So what should we do with it? So why is it trustworthy? Well, it's origin and it's cohesiveness, it's accuracy, it's life transformation, it's preservation. It's supernatural. What should we do with it? Well, the first thing we should do is receive it. We should receive it. Listening to it being read. Listening to it being preached. In verse 14 of chapter 3, 2 Timothy 3, 14, he said, you have learned and been assured of these things. Remember where they came from. Verse 15, from a child you have known the Holy Scriptures. You have listened. You need to receive the Word of God. Uh, you need to be in the Word, and you need to be under the Word. You say, well, sure, preacher, you tell us we need to listen to preaching. I'm pretty sure I listen to more preaching than you do, unless you subscribe to some of the podcasts that I hear. Sometimes I'm walking in the morning listening to sermons, and sometimes I come back all fired up. Sometimes I come back all bewildered. Like, are they preaching from the same Bible I'm preaching from? Uh, but uh, I learned, and, and I spent last week, I spent several hours, I was up in uh, Glendale with other pastors, and we had a Bible study together, and we talked and we prayed. There, there's a, accountability. You need to be in the Word. You need to be under the Word. You need to be receiving it, learning it, hearing it. You need to read it. Secondly, read it. The Bible is the most revered and most neglected book on the planet. I wish I could remember where I first heard that. I can't remember. I would give credit to him if I could. It's the most revered and most neglected book on the planet. Several years ago, George Barna did a survey. He did a survey of Americans. And among Americans, he asked them, does the Bible say God helps those who help themselves? What percentage do you think of Americans said, yes, the Bible says that? 82% of Americans said, yes, that's in the Bible. So Barna said, okay, I'm going to survey a different group of people. I'm going to survey a group of people who identify themselves as born-again Christians, people who said they've received Jesus Christ as their Savior, 
and they know the Lord, and they understand the value of the Word of God. I'm going to ask them the same question. Does the Bible say that the Lord helps those who help themselves? And so for Americans at large, the percentage was 82%. What do you think the percentage was for born-again believers? 81%. We did slightly better than the pagans out there. People get caught up following preachers who say, here's what God's Word says. You need to read it for yourself. You need to be in the Word, reading it, learning it. Thirdly, you need to study it. 2 Timothy chapter 2, look there. Chapter 2, verse 15. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God a workman who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You need to study it. You need to break it down and look at it and, and learn it. Uh, one of the ways that we read Scripture is, as a church, we read it from a normative, literal translation or in, interpretation, uh, this literal, normal understanding of the words. And then we also look at it from the historical setting. What did it mean in the day it was written? We look at it from the grammatical setting. Did you know the Bible has nouns and verbs and adverbs and adjectives? And we look at it from the grammatical perspective. And we look at it contextually so that we see how it relates to the verses around it and to the scripture as a whole. We also look at it dispensationally. Because God worked in the Old Testament, primarily through the nation of Israel, in the New Testament, primarily through the church, and we need to understand the difference of how God worked and when. Same God, same plan of salvation, but the way he worked in people's lives uh, was a little different within the culture. So we look at it that way. Most cults and false teachers quote from the scripture in an inaccurate way. Maharaji Yogi says uh, that Jesus said, we are gods. You all are gods. Is that what Jesus said? No. He's misquoting something David said in the Psalms and misapplying it. But see, people don't know. You know, there is a church that does not teach the truth of God's word. And they have said their most successful uh, converts come from Baptist churches. Why is that? I don't know. We need to study the Word of God. What does it really say? The Apostle Paul praised the Bereans in the book of Acts because they were researching what Paul said, making sure it was consistent with the Old Testament. And today we have a group of believers, quite frankly, that are lazy. They sit in church and hear what the pastor said, and they'll go out and say, well, my pastor says, well, what does God say? That's way more important. If your pastor's following God, great. Learn from him. Follow and, and grow and mature. If he's not following God, then that church needs a new pastor, or you need a new church. It's the Word of God. We need to study it and research it, and understand it. Uh, you can't isolate one passage of Scripture. It's cohesive. 
It all fits together. The fourth thing you need to do is obey it. In your bulletin, there's a verse. What does it say? Can you read it with me? It's, it's actually not the whole verse, but it's Luke eleven twenty eight. Read it with me. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. What does it mean to keep it? It means you make it part of your life. You don't keep the word of God by taking this cherished book and making a shrine and sitting it somewhere. You, you keep it by living it, by obeying it putting it into your life. Uh, here's a picture of somebody who's studying the scripture. And, uh, and oh, go back. The, the box. That, and so I've enlarged what they wrote on their notes. They're making notes on the side, and I enlarged it. And he said, I need to watch my words carefully. My words need to come from, and then the picture runs out. My words need to be sincere. And they're studying from the book of James and talking about their work. This is something you need to do. You need to look at God's word and figure out how to apply it into your life. Uh, look at verse 16 of chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine. That's the teaching. I had a guy once tell me he had visited our church when I was pastoring in another community. And he didn't like our church because we were talking about doctrine and, and what the Word of God really meant. He said, I don't want all that doctrine. I just want to know what the teaching of the Bible. Well, that's what doctrine means. Doctrine means the teaching of the Bible. Okay? Uh, in a church that's teaching the Bible, they're teaching doctrine. What does it mean about salvation? What does it mean about baptism? What does it mean about marriage? What does it mean about following the Lord. What does, uh, that's doctrine. So Paul said the, the word of God is profitable. It, we can put it to use in learning what the word of God really says for doctrine, for instruction, for reproof. This is to correct you. So if we're driving down the road, the instruction, the doctrine you get is, all right, I'm supposed to be in this lane and go this way. Uh, my sister-in-law is here from England, and uh, in England they drive on the wrong side road. So we tell her. She comes here and says, Americans drive on the wrong side of the road. Uh, but uh, no, we drive on the right side. Uh, but they, they drive on the left side over there. And so when she comes over here, she has to follow the American rules. So that's that doctrine. No, you're supposed to be on the right side. And by the way, on the freeway, you're supposed to be on the right when you're going slower. Some people don't know that. In case you're one of them, just, okay, just fun facts to know and tell. Doctrine, and then it says for, for doctrine, then for reproof. This is when you're going the wrong way. You ever been going down the road and you see the place you meant to stop at? Oh, there it is, because you're trying to look for road signs. It, so many businesses don't have the numbers there, you know. And finally you see it, so what do you do? You make a U-turn when the traffic's clear. And that's what this, this rebuke, uh, a U-turn. And for correction, if you get in your car, you drive down the road, <coughs> Sorry, you have to make adjustments. You remember the old movies when they had a moving screen beside people sitting in a car it was, and they drove like this? Some people still do. 
But, but you need to make minor adjustments to stay in your lane a little bit. Uh, if you just go straight down the road, you're going to end up off the road. So minor corrections. And in life, we need to do that too. From the Word of God, we learn and we make those adjustments. And then instruction in righteousness so that we can stay right. So that we can learn what's right, so we can correct ourselves to what's right, adjust ourselves, and then stay right. Keep going the right direction. God's Word. We need to obey God's Word. We need to submit to the Word of God. God makes the rules. We follow them. And then fifth, we need to share it. Share it. Romans 10, 14. How shall they believe in Him on whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? Uh, Speak God's word into your relationships. In verse 2, chapter 4, preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine or teaching. And then in verse 5, uh, Paul challenges him, do the work of an evangelist. You need to speak God's word into your relationships. Now, Timothy was called to preach as I've been called to preach. Not everybody has that calling in their life. Not everybody, I mean... If everybody in this church was called to preach and we all took a turn every week, it'd be years before you'd get your chance. I mean, Jerry'd probably be 12 before he'd get to get up here and preach. But we... (laughs) I got his attention on that one. Not everybody is called to be a preacher in front of a congregation. Everybody is called to preach the word, to speak God's word into your relationships. See, the word preach does not mean stand in front of a group of people and speak with a loud voice. That's not what in the Bible the word preach means. It means to herald, to announce. Now, it comes from the meaning of the old crier, that the town crier would come in with news from the king, hear hear ye, and he'd reveal the news to the king. But we can apply that into different conversations. Like, I could go one-on-one conversation with Todd, and I can be preaching the word, but I'm not going to stand in front of Todd and say, Thus saith the Lord! You No, that, we're going to talk. We're going to converse. You can do it in a small group. Have some folks over to your house for hospitality and share with them a blessing that God has done in your life. Speak God's word into your relationships. We need to share it. The Bible was not there so that you could hoard it, but so that you could share it to communicate God's truth with others. Some of the most meaningful spiritual conversations, I'm sorry, some of the most meaningful things I've heard from the word of God have not come from pulpits, but have come from one-on-one conversations with people as they spoke God's word, and I listened. And all of us can do that kind of preaching. And then he ends in verse 5, fulfill your ministry. God has called you to receive his word, to learn it, to read it, to study it, to obey it, to share it. Fulfill your ministry. See, You're not called to be Timothy. You're called to be the best you that you can be. 
as you follow God and learn His Word. Just a moment, we're going to sing a song, Ancient Words. It's a song of, uh, about the Word of God and ancient truths that we study and that we learn and we grow from. It's a word that speaks to the, the longness of God's Word. Uh, I had a great-grandpa who was a preacher. I have his study Bibles. I have some of his study notes. I've even preached a sermon that he studied and wrote out. We look to the Word of God. And so when we talk about ancient words, we're looking back to the same holy Word of God that the first church had, and the second century church, and the third century church, and today. Ancient words as we follow God. Let's sing this song and let's make a commitment in our hearts and lives that we will live His Word.